Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, we see Christ's response to two different types of people, the general crowd and those who are called to be his disciples. And that is the question we have to answer. Are we part of the crowd or are we a disciple? You're listening to Windows on the Word, Leaving Your Nets by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And just a reminder to all of you, we are continuing our sermon series, uh, Windows on the Word, for the season of Epiphany up to Lent, so that means for January and February. All our sermons will come from Bible stories that show up in our windows. And today's story is in the center bay, a bay has got three windows in it, the center bay uh, on the, the west side here, and that's the, the picture of, of Jesus doing his, his miracle in the boat. Now, the, the, you probably noticed that today's uh, service has a theme of call, right? That theme of call has showed up again and again. And if you look at that window, and if you can't see it from where you're seated, it's on the front of the bulletin as well. That whole window, that whole bay is concerned with call, right? So, Close to me on the bottom, you got Jesus calling Matthew. So he's got his little tax collector's desk there. And on the far side, you got Jesus calling Nathaniel under the fig tree, like he said in John. And then the story that I'm going to focus on from Luke, that's Jesus calling the two disciples in the boat. And the two disciples in the boat are uh, Peter and John. And we know that because, well, Peter's in the story. And we know that because of the way they're drawn. Uh, John is the clean-shaven one, and Peter is the one with the beard. And that's because in the Western tradition, I learned that this week, uh, John is always portrayed as clean-shaven. John is portrayed as clean-shaven. So if you look at other clean-shaven disciples, that's probably John. Whereas Peter is always portrayed as bearded and burly, kind of like me. <laughs> or not. So in the window, you can see it's a, it's, it, the, the miracle is just happening. Peter and John have thrown their nets into the water. They're starting to pull them up, and it's so heavy they can't move it. And now they're turning, and they're looking at Jesus in astonishment. Let's hear the story as Luke tells it. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, Galilee, the people were crowding around him, and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out just a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Be, because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. 
I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. The key to understanding this passage, I think, without any question, the key to getting at the heart of this passage is understanding verse 8. The key to understanding this passage is figuring out why does Peter react the way he does? Why is Peter so afraid and what is he afraid of? Jesus does this great miracle, this miracle of abundance. And when Peter sees it, he falls at Jesus' knees and says, go away, Jesus. Get lost, Jesus. Please, just leave me alone. It's a remarkable reaction, and it's even more remarkable because it's exactly the opposite reaction from the reaction that everybody else is having to Jesus at this moment. Remember the beginning of the story, right? Crowds are flocking to Jesus. Everybody else is moving towards Jesus, so many of them that he has to get in a boat to teach so he doesn't get trampled. Everybody else wants to be close to Jesus. Peter says to Jesus, please get out of here and leave me alone. What is going on there? The story starts innocently enough. Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee. The crowds are pressing in on him, so he gets into Simon's boat and teaches them from there. Simon and his associates are sitting on the shore. They're cleaning their nets, and it seems like they're probably only half listening, right, because they're busy cleaning their nets, and they're tired. They've just been out fishing all night. They haven't caught a living thing. And they're exhausted, cleaning their nets while Jesus preaches. He finishes his sermon. He turns to those men and says, put out into deep waters for a catch. Now, how do you think Peter felt about this request from Jesus? What do you think Peter's reaction was to it? You can kind of sense as you read it in scripture, he's not particularly warm to Jesus' request. You want me to do what? You want me to go out fishing again? He's been out all night long. He's just pulled an all-nighter. It's been an unproductive all-nighter. He's exhausted. He spent a long time washing his nets. What is Peter thinking about it? He wants to go home. He's been out all night. He just wants to go home and sleep. And now Jesus takes this time to tell him to go out again. You want me to go out again and let down my nets? Now remind me, what is your profession, sir? Oh, that's right. You're a carpenter. Well, Mr. Carpenter, let me tell you, I've been all night out on the water. I know this lake like the back of my hand. I've been fishing it my whole life. I put my nets in the most productive spots, and I did not catch anything. And if I didn't catch anything last night, I promise you I won't be catching anything today. Jesus' request seems even more unreasonable when you know a little bit about fishing in those days. So Peter and his companions were using something called a trammel net, a trammel net. And we know this because that's the kind of net that you washed in those days. And it was made of relatively thick strands of linen, okay? It was heavy, took two people to lift up. And most importantly, because it was so thick, fish could see it during the daytime. 
This is why you fished at night, so the fish couldn't see the net. This was not fine nylon filament. This was a net that fish could see. That's why you fished at night. So telling someone to go out in the daytime and fish with a trammel net, that's like your buddy saying, hey, let's go fishing, but we won't use any lures, and we won't use any bait. We're just going to put our hooks in the water and see if the fish bite. And yet, even though Peter is tired, and even though Jesus' request seems unreasonable, he goes out and does it. He lets down his nets. Why? Probably because he feels like he owes Jesus. In the previous chapter, um, Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. And if someone heals your mother-in-law, the least you can do is take them fishing when they ask you. So with a sigh and an eye roll, Peter and his companions get into the boat. They go out to the deepest part of the Sea of Galilee. They let down their nets wait for the nets to hit the bottom, wait for an appropriate time and start to pull them up. But when they do, the nets are so full that they barely move. And Peter has to call his companions over and they all pull and they fill the two boats that they have so full that the boats almost sink and they limp back to shore. And as soon as they get to shore, Peter falls at Jesus' knees and he says to Jesus, please, 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 leave me alone. Now, most of you know this story, and so you know Jesus' reaction. So you're not surprised when you see Peter fall in front of Jesus and say, go away. But this is so, so strange. Peter's just had the best business day that he'll ever have in his entire life. He's going to make more money today than he ever made ever before. His profit margins are going to be through the roof. You would think that he would run over to Jesus put his arm around Jesus and say, Jesus, that was awesome. I want you to be my business partner. Could you please come down here every single day? We will revolutionize the fishing industry and we will make so much money. And up till now, that's exactly how everyone else has been reacting, as I said before. Chapter 4, verse 42, right before our passage, Jesus is in Capernaum and he does all kinds of miracles there. But then he gets up early in the morning to leave because he knows he has to preach in other towns. And what do the people of Capernaum do? They come after him. The people were looking for Jesus, and when they came to the place where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. The people of Capernaum are trying to say, no, Jesus, stay close. Peter's saying, please leave. Why? Peter asks Jesus to leave. Because he realizes Jesus is way more complicated than he realized. Peter asks Jesus to leave because he realizes Jesus is not safe. This man is not here to help him catch fish. This man is here to turn his life absolutely upside down. And Peter doesn't want his life turned upside down. Peter doesn't want to change. He likes his life. He's married, we know that. He's got a nice little business going. He's got a couple boats already. He's got colleagues, business partners. He's thinking about children. He's thinking about maybe build a nice little house right there on the shore. He's thinking about a life with his wife, a nice, normal life, and he likes those plans. And now all of a sudden, Jesus gets close to them, and all those plans seem threatened. All of a sudden, those plans he has for his life seem small and self-centered, and he can feel the weight of Jesus' call 
on his chest and he's terrified and he should be. Read the Gospels and you'll realize that there's two different kinds of people who come to Jesus and two different ways that Jesus speaks to these people. So two different kinds of people come to Jesus, two different kinds of approaches. And Jesus speaks to these two kinds of people in different ways. Some of the people who approach Jesus are what we could call the general crowds. And there's lots of them in the Gospels, right? Great crowds following him everywhere. What do the general crowds want from Jesus? The general crowds want Jesus to solve their problems. They have aches and pains. They have disabilities. They have debts. They hear that Jesus is the miracle man, so they're coming to Jesus to say, please help me, please help me, Jesus. They're not looking to follow Jesus. They just want their problem solved. Last week they tried acupuncture. This week they're going to try Jesus. How does Jesus talk to these people? How does he react to these people? Jesus loves these people. He pays attention to them. One by one they come to him and he heals them. He looks on them with compassion. He heals and they bounce off back to their old life and nothing's changed. Back to business as usual. That's the general crowd. But then there's these other people who come to Jesus and they, they don't just want a miracle. They don't just want Jesus to solve their problems. They want to follow Jesus. They say, Jesus, I want to learn your life. I want to figure out who you are. I want your life to be in me. Sometimes those people come to Jesus. Sometimes Jesus goes to those people, like in our story. It says, you. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. Jesus talks to these disciples in a very different way. He's much, much harder on these disciples. He says really difficult things to them and gives them a cross. He tells them, if you want to follow me, it's going to be like you are homeless. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He tells them, if you're going to follow me, your family is going to come into conflict. So don't even bother to say goodbye to them. Just follow me. Put your hand to the plow. What Mike read earlier. He tells some of them that if you want to follow me, you got to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He says hard, hard things to his disciples. Much harder than he says to the general crowd. Who are we? Part of those two are we involved with. We're disciples, right? That's why we're here, to be his disciples. If that's you, Jesus is not coming to give you a new coat of paint. He's coming to strip you down to the studs and do a total rebuild. You must be born again, he says to Nicodemus. That's not easy, that being born thing. Just ask any mother. Peter is scared, and he's right to be scared. When I hear Peter tell Jesus to go away, I think of Thomas Nagel. Thomas Nagel is a philosopher. He is a philosopher of mind. He teaches at New York University, and he's also an atheist. He's very clear about that. He's very clear that he doesn't believe in God. But he's a kind of an interesting atheist. He's kind of an honest atheist. When he says that he's an atheist and he doesn't believe in God, it's not just because he doesn't think there's evidence for God out there, like how can there be a good God when there's so much evil in the world? That's not 
the only reason he doesn't believe in God. He says he doesn't believe in God because he doesn't want there to be a God. He's afraid that there might be a God, and he doesn't want there to be a God. Listen, this is what he writes. I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people that I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God. I don't want there to be a God. I hope there is no God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Now, why doesn't Thomas Nagel want there to be a God? Because he doesn't want to have anyone over him telling him what to do. He wants to be Lord of his own life. He hates the idea that there might be some being to whom he must answer, who might judge him, tell him no. At least he's honest about that. I suspect that many unbelievers and atheists have that same sort of feeling. They want to be lords of their own life. We all want that, right? In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, who, as you know, was an unbeliever himself for quite a while, says it this way. He says that in each of us, there is something self-centered, something that wants to be petted and admired, something that wants to take advantage of other lives and exploit the whole universe, something that wants to be on top of the heap. And especially, there's something in us that wants to be left to itself and to keep away from anything or anyone who makes us feel small. That's Thomas Nagel. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want to have to humble myself before anything. And that's Peter too, right? What is Peter afraid of? He, he has these plans. He has these beautiful upper middle class plans. And he doesn't want someone to come and mess with those. Of course, it's too late for Peter. Jesus has called him. And so even as these protestations are coming out of his mouth, the Holy Spirit is taking hold of his heart, and by the time the day is over, he will have left his nets behind, and he will be following Jesus Christ, his Lord. Now, I am very aware that as I lay this all out for you here this morning, uh, this probably doesn't sound like good news. As I tell you that, oh, Jesus is here to turn your life upside down, there's probably something in you that says, well, I'm kind of with Peter on this one. I like my life. I like my plans. I like where it's going. I don't want Jesus to mess up those plans. If getting close to Jesus means challenge and, and everything being overturned, um, I don't want to get too close. Can I possibly follow at a safe distance from Jesus? You know, get all the benefits without the sacrifice? There's a little bit in us that wants that. But if we feel that way, we're selling ourselves short. Each of you were made for more than that. You are not made to live out ordinary middle-class values. You are not made for ordinary human pursuits. You are made for fellowship with the living God. You are made to be one through Jesus with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and to have his life in you. You are not just made to survive. You are made for eternal things. In his famous sermon, The Way to Glory, C.S. Lewis again puts it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures 
fooling around with drink and sex in ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine that what is offered us is a holiday at the seashore. We are far too easily pleased. Whether you like it or not, this story, this text, presses a question on all of us, on me too. And that question is, are you part of the general crowd or are you a disciple? Jesus came to make us disciples. And at Christmas time, we celebrate the fact that he came down into the muck, into that place where we were making mud pies, but he didn't come to leave us there. He came to raise us to the heights of heaven. And if you are his disciple and you make that journey from the muck to the heights of heaven, that will be the hardest journey that you will ever take. Jesus wants to teach you his compassion. But in order to do that, he's going to have to smash your vanity and your self-centeredness. And believe me, that will hurt. Jesus wants to fill you with his love. And that sounds great. But when you start to grow in his love, you know what's going to happen? You are going to be wounded by the pain of others. Your love for them will make you feel their pain, and that will be a burden. With great love, there's great grief. Jesus wants to fill you with his justice and his righteousness, but guess what? When that happens, you find you can't put up with injustice or unrighteousness. It stirs you up, and you want to do something about it. When Jesus puts his life on you, you will look at your fellow humans who are living their mediocre little middle-class lives, and that will bug you. You will want something better for them, and you will want to go and tell them about the Jesus who came to this earth to raise us to the heights of heaven. You will want to be a fisher of men and a fisher of women. Having Jesus turn you into a disciple will be the hardest thing that you will ever do, and it will be the most wonderful thing you will ever do. And it is the way of eternity. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this story, this text, this word that you bring to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we feel the call in this text. We, we sense how much following you is going to cost us, how hard it is to be your disciple, but we also hear how wonderful it is, how deep, how life-changing. Lord God, give us the courage to leave our nets behind and follow you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.